Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Welcome to Coindesk TV. I'm Zach Seward. That's Jen Sinassi, Will Foxley over there in the brick cell. We are here to get you up to speed on all that's going on in the world of crypto and more. Plenty going on. A little bit of a crypto banking crisis going on. And Jen is going to take a hack at that one with the first story of the day. What do you got? All right. So in the face of this crypto banking crisis, Crypto.com is struggling to maintain its fiat on-ramps. The exchange's current banking partner is only accessible to users in the European economic area. And in other news, you'll remember we spoke about Silvergate yesterday working with the FDIC to try and stay afloat. Now they are saying that they are going to voluntarily liquidate and wind down operations. Zach, I'm going to toss this one off to you. Where do we go from here? Yeah, we were talking just yesterday, like watch this story. And then sure enough, voluntary liquidation hit that night. Wow. Amazing. Anyway, Silvergate was, as we discussed yesterday, a major partner to many crypto firms in the space providing both fiat off-ramp, on-ramp, and also just banking services, right? They had been sort of a pioneer in serving an emerging sector. And by way of their association with FTX and Alameda, they seem to have passed away. So they're being wound down. That's something that has sent multiple players in the space scrambling to look for additional banking partners. And I think it's becoming more and more difficult, again, in the wake of this joint pronouncement in January from U.S. banking regulators that touching crypto is bad, according to them. And so therefore, people are trying to figure out how to make this work. It really does seem as though crypto in the U.S. is in crisis right now if um, off-ramp into the beloved U.S. dollar is indeed compromised at scale, right? There's still several banking partners out there. Signature we mentioned yesterday, Customers Bank we mentioned previously, but these are banks that are potentially proceeding at their own risk, right? They probably have better risk parameters in place. A lot of them didn't have exposure to FTX, so they should be fine in terms of deposits on hand. But again, I think regulators in the U.S. are taking an increasingly serious and hard line on what services established financial players can provide to crypto startups. And we're seeing this kind of play out with both Silvergate and obviously as exposed in this story, crypto.com, which services a lot of users are also kind of feeling the pinch. So interesting to see this unfold. This is really a fascinating moment in crypto's history. And I think a lot of people are going to be ramping up their efforts in DC to say, hey, here's why crypto can be pro-social. And here's why crypto should be allowed to live and thrive here in the US. I think those conversations are really ramping up among some of the more established players in the space. Well, I'm going to toss it to you. What do you think about this one? 
Yeah, same line of logic as you here. I think I want to go back to Operation Choke Point 2.0, which we talked about a few weeks ago in the show. It's this idea written first by Nick Carter and some others talking about how there might be this push by the Biden administration and other regulators within Washington, D.C. to choke out liquidity from the crypto market by going after the bank partnerships, right? So if you talk to the banks that already have federal fund accounts or already within the commercial banking system, you say, hey, we don't want you to work with crypto exchanges and we're going to put out press releases and we're going to put out notices whenever you guys do work with them or that we don't like working with them or when we put like a sensor on these exchanges. We're seeing that more actively now with what happened with Silvergate, right? So Silvergate, of course, was not necessarily targeted by any regulator, but it was noted within the press. Elizabeth Warren and others were not super happy with Silvergate, especially after the fall of FTX. And I think Silvergate falling apart is only going to play into that narrative that we've been seeing with this operation, Chokepoint 2.0, where more banks are going to see more pressure not to deal with crypto exchanges or crypto companies at all because it's too much of a liability within the eyes of regulators. I think we're going to see that just escalate over the next few weeks. For crypto.com, I think it's a similar story, right? So they're based in Singapore. They operate globally. They're a pretty large exchange. They're also known pretty widely in retail circles. Now they're having some banking partnership issues where they don't really have a USD offboarding system right now. And their euro offboarding system isn't present in a lot of different countries. You have to be present in the EU in order to use it. And that presents a huge problem. Getting cash into crypto isn't necessarily as difficult as getting crypto back into cash. That's the harder part oftentimes. And if you're not able to do that, well, then you starve the market itself. And we're going to see like a lot of these trading pairs on some exchanges start to dry up. What I'm expecting to see is a few players really come out of this ahead of the others. The Coinbase is the world that have those lobbyists, that have those ties to DC and have those ties to different banks and have those protections in place, they're going to have the liquidity. The other operators that are sort of on the fringes, they're not going to get those banking partnerships. And I think we're going to see some exchanges have to halt services or the liquidity and matchmaking on prices are going to become so bad that people just aren't going to go there anymore. Jen, I'll throw it over to you again. Yeah, yesterday I quoted Bloomberg TV. They said that if Silvergate goes into receivership, it would be the biggest banking crisis since 2008 or 2009. I wanted to just make note that the bank is voluntarily liquidating, so it's not going into FDIC receivership. That means it's not going to be on the failed bank list, but it is going to be the first major bank collapse since 2020 and possibly the largest since 2009. So not only a big crypto story, but possibly an indicator at the larger economy to come. Will? Yeah, one thing I think is worth pointing out here is that Silvergate is winding down voluntarily and it's doing so in a like orderly manner, right? So we go back to 2008, 2009, 2010. That was bad because things were coming apart at the seams immediately. People were walking out of these buildings with their cardboard boxes. There was people losing money left and right. We saw Lehman Brothers and all those guys just disappear off the face of the earth within an afternoon. That's not what's happening with Silvergate. And I think it's worth noting. Silvergate is drawing down in an orderly fashion. Yes, it's unfortunate that that's happening, but it's not like they're just like poof disappearing in the way that did happen during the Great Recession. That being said, I do think that like a lot of crypto antagonists are going to take this and run with it. And they're not going to really care about those facts here. And we're already seeing that happen with Senator Elizabeth Warren tweeting about the subject earlier yesterday. But we can leave that there for now. I'll throw it over to Zach for the next story. But you live in interesting times. Let's go and talk about some NFTs. Those NFT people, they're always up to some no good nonsense. Gitcoin and MetaLabel dropped an NFT collection that is associated with Vitalik Buterin, the Ethereum founder and beloved member of the Ethereum community. 
And as such, by way of its affiliation with Vitalik, this NFT collection is surging in interest and price. It's unclear exactly if Vitalik is directly involved, but clearly the association was enough to pique interest in what is an interesting project from Gitcoin, sort of commemorating the launch of the uh, quadratic funding paper that they had written, Vitalik and others had written some years ago. So anyway, this is an NFT story. This is a Vitalik figurehead story. This is also sort of an interesting sort of market dynamic we're seeing unfold here. I'm going to toss to Jen for her thoughts on this one. I don't know. What do you think is going on? Is this misplaced enthusiasm? Is this real? What are the people saying? What are the NFT people saying? I don't know if it's real, but I will take enthusiasm where I can get it. I think that the enthusiasm is placed, right? I think the collection is one that has been released for good. The collection's profits are going to be shared between Gitcoin and MetaLabel and technology research firm Plurality Institute with the goal of continuing to fund public goods. So I think the message behind this is good, whether Vitalik is a part of it or not. I don't think, gosh, people are going to come at me. I don't think it really matters. But the fact that everyone kind of got on board at the fact that Vitalik might be involved is just like one awesome part of this industry, right? People just, you know, hear one thing and they run with it. And the next thing you know, the price of some random thing is skyrocketing. And this random thing skyrocketing is for the greater good of the industry. And so I am on board. Zach? Yeah, it's, it's one of the dorkier NFT drops I think we've remarked on, right? Quadratic funding is like a way to like optimize the funding of public goods, which are all the things that we benefit from, but don't necessarily have a strong business model behind them, right? So like I don't know, roads and public schools in the real world and decentralized finance protocols in Web3 land. So the fact that this is sort of a rallying cry for quadratic funding itself, which has been championed by Glenn Whale, who's involved in this. Kevin Awaki of Gitcoin is also very much involved in this. It's fascinating to see that there's hysteria around this particular way to fund public goods, which I think is something very in keeping with sort of the Ethereum community. So if it is indeed rooted in that pure ideological goodness, then so be it. If it is just rampant speculation based on whether or not Vitalik is involved, then maybe less good, but definitely the content of this drop is uh, enjoyably dorky. It's still good. It's all right. It's okay. (laughs) Will, what's your take? Jen would love this story. No, I think you have to be careful because Vitalik gets thrown into so many different token projects. It's a long history of that. So hopefully he is involved with this one. Strong asterisk there on this story. But I don't know, like Gitcoin is a thing and people like it and an NFT drop makes sense for it. And they're kind of doing this in a cool way, right? Where you get like a copy of this Quadrac funding paper from 2018, which was a pretty big deal at the time. It sort of launched Gitcoin. Gitcoin has a pretty strong place within the Ethereum community. It's a lot of reason why I think like ETH Denver sort of revolves around this area because there is like Kevin Owaki out here who founded Gitcoin. There's just like this strong presence of that funding public goods within the Ethereum ecosystem, which you don't really find in other crypto circles. Sort of curious. The NFT drop makes sense for this, right? Like NFTs are now one of the big things, the big products of Ethereum. So why not launch a token along with it here? That's all I got for it though. Jen, I'll throw it back to you. Yeah, I think we should just get a hash DAO together, right? Pool our funds and get the NFTs that we talk about on the show. I think that they it could pay off in the long run. It could not, but it would just be a fun initiative. You guys aren't mm. on board, eh? Just mm. complete silence, straight faced. I think it's a good idea. Sounds like a lot of work. Sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, it does but sound like do a it. lot of work. I don't know, guys. Count me out for that one. Sounds fun, though. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I'll consider it. Calling all early stage crypto, blockchain, and Web3 startups, teams, and builders. Apply to Coindesk Pitch Fest 
powered by Google Cloud and pitch live on stage at Consensus in Austin this April. Winners will receive two VIP Piranha Passes to Consensus 2024, featured coverage on Coindesk, and an invitation to present at Coindesk's Private Investor Summit, Ideas 2023. Learn more and apply at consensus.coindesk.com slash pitchfest. Let's talk about Crypto Hayes, aka Arthur Hayes, the founder and co-founder of BitMEX, 100X Group. Pretty prominent exchange in group within crypto. He put out a new blog post talking about an idea for replacing stable coins with a Bitcoin backed derivatives product. In this new essay from Arthur Hayes. Get a look into the little math brain this guy has. Also get a few jokes along the way. TLDR here is essentially that stable coins are not really working because the banks are coming after them. And if they really did want to dominate the stable coin world, they really could do so. That being said, Arthur Hayes thinks that we do have a product already that could go around that, that being Bitcoin and Bitcoin petrol inverse swaps. He thinks by including these two products together on exchanges and building a DAO around it, you could provide a lot of liquidity to the Bitcoin market natively. Zach, this is a pretty complex topic and maybe we don't need to go into all the math behind it, but it is certainly an innovation that I think a lot of people would like right now, given that there's so much pressure on top of stable coins. Yeah, I mean, that's the dream. It's the dream that has burned many, right? A stable coin that exists outside the purview of the traditional financial world. The stable coins that have worked to date have been asset-backed stable coins, right? With ostensibly a large reserve of real-world dollars sitting in a bank somewhere that are then tokenized and represented on blockchains as Ethereum, Tron, others, you name it, right? So that's how it exists in the real world. But there's certainly, you know, the threat of censorship with that, right? These are banks, these are known entities in the world that can be censured, that can be shut down by governments. And if indeed this Operation Choke Point is playing out, the picture gets a little bit scary for whether or not stablecoins can exist in their current form. So as famous people before Arthur, such as Do Kwan, put forth into the world this idea of an algorithmic stablecoin, right? It's not necessarily backed by these assets that are sitting in a bank somewhere. It's banked by these mathematical dynamics that secure the value of this thing in a way that maintains stability. I don't know if the world is ready for this just yet, because Luna, that was just, feels like ages ago, but that was just last May, not even a year old. And that was a huge blow up that scared everyone and their mother about the prospect of stable coins that aren't backed by actual dollars or US treasuries, right? So the idea that this may come to pass, I think is a bit far-fetched, especially from Arthur Hayes, who has had some run-ins with the law in the past. He remains, I stand by this, the best blogger in crypto, perhaps the best writer in crypto, no offense to many of the talented writers here at Coindesk.com. But Arthur is out here writing and expounding upon potentially a new project. would be really interesting to see if it went anywhere, because to date, he's been sort of just a prolific observer of the recent markets, historically rose to fame with BitMEX, which is his own story. But yeah, this is pretty crazy. If this is the new UST, which I, I don't think it necessarily would be, that would be quite the remarkable comeback for one of crypto's original kingpins. So interesting to see for sure. I'll say that much. Jen, what do you think? Yeah, I had the exact same thoughts as yours. I was reading the story and I was like, okay, I don't completely get all the math or the technicalities behind this, but I don't know if the regulators are going to like this, especially coming from someone like Arthur Hayes, who's had a pretty contentious history with regulators. We can leave it there. And so, Will, I have a question for you. Like, do you think that in the current regulatory climate where there's such scrutiny on stable coins and there is such scrutiny on centralized exchanges and even developers when it comes to sanctions, that this is something that we could see come to life? 
Yeah, heavy caveat here, asterisk. This is like a lot of math, and I didn't get enough time to really wrap my head around it. And maybe even then, I wouldn't totally get it. That being said, what he is proposing here is basically a way around the stablecoin issue. And the stablecoin issue is that everyone wants stablecoins, but you can't decentralize stablecoin because of the banking partnerships that stablecoins need in order to survive. So as he calls out in this paper, a lot of these stablecoins use U.S. treasuries in order to backstop the stablecoin itself, right? So if I take a dollar, I put it to this exchange, I mint a stablecoin, that exchange goes and buys a U.S. treasury or something else from a money market in order to have a reserve on hand that's highly liquid. And then they issue me a token that is representative of $1 or one euro or one fiat buck somewhere else. In this instance, it's not very safe because what if Joe Schmo comes along and tries to purchase this, but then the crypto exchange gets banned from U.S. treasuries, right? Well, then the whole market falls apart. In this instance, what we're saying with Arthur Hayes is, hey, we can do this in a crypto native way using centralized exchanges that are already present. These centralized exchanges have products, they have users, and they only need to develop a derivative product that works with Bitcoin in order to create its own synthetic stablecoin. So bring money onto the platform, not necessarily it's too difficult now. Most people know how to do that. It's about maintaining those dollars on the account that access to US treasuries or access to other money markets that underpin stablecoins. That's the key issue that Arthur Hayes is trying to work around here. And I think it's a pretty interesting idea that actually could happen. That being said, there's a lot of these ideas that have come back in the past in crypto and they've blown up. So we'll have to see if this picks up anywhere. Maybe BitMEX does something with it. Who knows? Throw it over to you, Zach. Yeah, it replaces traditional stablecoin issuers with centralized crypto derivatives exchanges, right? And I think the idea that this is tied to Bitcoin is super smart, right? It's the most liquid, it's the most established, it's the most secure cryptocurrency in the world. It's the original cryptocurrency indeed. So alluding to Nakamoto making this thing, the Naka dollar would make sense. Obviously, the math is there, the proposal is there. But the big picture is how do you sort of decentralize this industry outside of the regulatory perimeter of increasingly hostile regulatory bodies? especially here in the West. I think those are the questions that a lot of people are facing, whether or not like the answers to that big question are going to become really interesting, right? They're going to become like, all right, let's educate the regulators. Let's make a good faith effort to win over some lawmakers who can see the benefits of crypto existing in a way that helps people. Or there might be more versions of this answer, which are like, all right, we need to like decentralize all the things, especially the stablecoin sector. Because if we are not decentralized there, it certainly exposes the crypto industry at large to huge regulatory blowback. So I think this is like the core big question today is like, oh my God, there's a big time crackdown. What's the answer? And I think there's going to be different answers that are proposed. This is one of those answers. It's decentralized all the things. There's going to be the let's educate regulators thing. And there's going to be something in between. But it's really fascinating to see smart people in the space writing and expounding on what can be a solution to what seems to be a pretty pressing challenge. So that's my big picture take. I don't know if this will ever come to pass, but if it did, it'd be kind of cool. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Let's go off to talk about another NFT project and maybe I'll have another horrible idea. Let's see. Web3 <laughs> music platform Audius says it will be implementing NFT gating to allow artists to release exclusive content for NFT holders. This news follows Spotify's announcements that it is testing token gated playlists. So that Spotify test is allowing NFT communities to create playlists. And if you hold that NFT, you get access to the playlist on Spotify. Will, you love NFTs so, so much. What do you think of, of Audius implementing this NFT gating? 
this. I like this idea, actually, because this actually makes sense for what the technology is itself, right? It's a token that allows you to have access to something and then it's monetizable. And that's the whole dream for all these NFTs. I don't like a lot of NFTs that are out there because there's not really some way to monetize it. And if you are monetizing it, it gets into weird securities issues, which I don't necessarily agree with, but are present in the reality of the situation we're in. That being said, this whole situation looks cool. Spotify seems to be doing it as well. I can issue a new playlist or a new song as an artist. And then if I only want to give it to a few people, but stay on the same platform, I just hand out a token. It syncs across everyone's phones. If you buy the token, you can listen to the song or you can listen to the playlist. If you don't have the token, you don't have access to it, but maybe you are aware that it is out there and then you want to go buy that NFT. It's a pretty cool idea. I actually like this one. I do wonder, however, if there's like a way around this without Web3, and there probably is. It's my inclination. I don't know. Zach, over to you. This is like the cries of utility. Utility rang out across the Web3 yes. land. This is that thing that Adam Levine is always talking about where NFTs are just like their keys, right? Right now, our experience of NFTs is pretty pictures painted on keys. This is like the early iteration of these keys, maybe having a pretty picture, but also being used to unlock something. In this case, some content that you specifically care about because you like these artists. So I think it's really interesting. Audius has been, I think, a pioneer in the Web3 music space. I think finding ways to make music NFTs do more stuff is really important. Should music NFTs make sense to a wider audience? They've been very, very niche to date because I don't think like the value proposition has really been there. But in terms of being able to directly support your favorite artists and then get some of that exclusive content that super fans everywhere seem to really, really love, this seems to be a great use case for NFTs. And I hope they find some success either on Audius, Spotify, or elsewhere as people try to figure out you know, how to make these tokens you know, make sense for real world usage. I think that's cool. Anyway, Jen. I love NFT utility. I think this is a cool idea, but I have a question for both of you, right? So uh -oh. people don't like to pay for things. I think we can just, we can say that, right? There was a huge problem with people pirating music and then the streaming services kind of solved that where we pay one fee and we get access to all of the music. And now we have this thing being reintroduced through Web3 where we're having to pay for music from specific people again, which was something that didn't really work in the past. And so do you think we are replicating a problem that has already been solved to give this technology like a use case? That's kind of where my head is at. Like I love NFTs, but do we want this? That's some big brain thinking right there. Anyway, I think I think that's a great question. I think like you there's the consumer side of that question, but there's also like the artist side of that question, right? And I think artists are largely like fed up with the way that streaming services treat their work, right? They make a very small percentage when it comes to, you know, a per stream basis, right? So if they can sort of upend the model and if there's enough critical mass, I think on the artist side, right? On the supply side, I would expect that demand could follow like interestingly, right? Where new relationships are forged that don't rely on existing streaming platforms. But hey, I don't know. Maybe that's suspending too much disbelief because I think you're totally right. Like convenience is king and like being able to access all the music is something that certainly a lot of people have come to love. I don't know, Will, last thoughts. I just love the critical thinking when it comes to NFTs on the show. It's it's good stuff here, Jen. I appreciate it. Seems like you're coming full circle. I you're got coming you. back to me. I love it. Got you. All right. Yeah. So Jen, to <laughs> to close it all the way, call back to the previous segment, music NFT investment DAO. What do you think? Us three? I'm in Not I musical, mean so. we could have a larger umbrella. You know, we're the NFT investment DAO. We have a music arm. 
I think Wendy should lead that music arm. She's not here. Really thinking. I know. I'm really thinking today, guys. (laughs) You're you're thinking. We got some serious Web3 ventures hatching out of the hash right now, live on Coindesk TV. All right. Thanks for being here to watch it. That's it for the show today. We're going to be back tomorrow here on Coindesk. Check out the podcast network. We're on there too. You can just listen to us instead of watching. That's always good. And uh, yeah, hope you're having a good day. I'm Zach Seward, Jensen Assey, Will Foxley on the show. We'll see you soon. Have a good one. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about, in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive, and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans. Like for a new ride, or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secured Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FTIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.